Our senior pastor, Dr. Payne, is in Jackson this morning for the Christian dedication of his grandson, Payne Buchanan. So it's with full hearts that we send Rhett and Donna there this morning. Next week, Rhett will continue his series in 1 Timothy. This week, the sermon is titled After the Ark, and it's drawn from Genesis chapter 8. The rains lasted 40 days. The floodwaters lasted longer. Now Noah and his family finally disembark on the dry ground. Our scripture reading begins in Genesis 8, verse 20. Please stand for a reading of God's word. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being, too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than two-edged sword. It lays open the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, you preserve the seed time and the harvest. You provide for us. You sustain our lives. And you have even spoken into our lives through the gift of the Holy Spirit and the power of your scriptures. Please open our eyes today to see your son Jesus in this passage of your scriptures. May the offering of your son never grow dull to us. Please equip us to live our lives as an offering to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Noah was now one year, one month, and 27 days older upon exiting the ark than he had been upon entering the ark. It could also be said that Noah is now one year, one month, and 27 days wiser. Meaning that Noah has now seen the mighty judgment of God. 
God has done exactly what he said he would do. Because the thoughts of every man's heart are only evil continuously, God has brought judgment, real judgment on the world. And Noah's seen it. Not only that, Noah has personally experienced the deliverance of God. God has delicately delivered Noah's entire family from these floodwaters by using a massive wooden ark. Now, Noah leaves the ark with a brand new creation in front of him. And he has the exact same problem on his plate that you are going to have tomorrow morning. Because it will be Monday morning. What are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your life? If you're suffering, you may be wondering, what am I going to do with this life? If you're having a midlife crisis, you're wondering, what am I going to do with this life? If you're a young person, I know you're wondering, what is it that I'm going to do with this life? Our passage this morning gives us a graciously simple answer. God does not give us a complex answer to this question. God kindly and graciously simplifies the answer to God's biggest question, to life's biggest question. In our passage this morning, we see Noah's answer to this question. What is he going to do with his life? And we also see the answer that God commands in the rest of the scriptures. What are you to do with your life? Offer yourself to God because God offers himself to you. Look at verse 20. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. This is the first appearance in the scriptures of an altar. But this is not the first appearance in the scriptures of a sacrifice. Why is that? Earlier sacrifices had been made toward Eden, the symbolic dwelling place of God. Now that the flood has come and washed away Eden, we see altars into the scene. This is now a burnt sacrifice. The smoke of this sacrifice would go up towards heaven, the new symbolic dwelling place of God. The important thing about this burnt offering is that it's Godward. Noah now has access to every single inch of the earth. There is nothing keeping him from pursuing all of the earth. And yet he turns to seek God first. That actually sounds a little like the 21st century. We actually, by data, have access to every single inch of the world. Because of vocations, because of training, because of our economies, we actually have unimaginable numbers of things at our access. And yet the command is the same. Will you seek first the Lord? Matthew 6.33 says that is what righteousness is. Seeking first the Lord's strength and the Lord's righteousness. Noah isn't just offering clean animals here. It's better understood that Noah is offering himself. Noah's life has been spared. Though he deserved judgment just like the rest of mankind, Genesis 6 says that Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. Though he deserved judgment just like the rest of mankind, he receives God's gracious deliverance. And so now Noah is offering himself to God because God has offered himself to Noah. This passage shows us four ways that God is offering himself to Noah. And these are important because these are the same four ways that God offers himself to us. The first is that God offers his pleasure. Now, if you are taking notes, you may be losing your mind. We have just skipped a few blanks. That's okay. We will come back to those. First, God offers his pleasure. Look at verse 21. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. Literally, this passage says, Then Yahweh, the Lord, smelled the smell of 
appeasement. This word appeasement only appears 44 times in the Old Testament. And every single appearance of this word appeasement is in regard to the aroma of a sacrifice. So that means the kind of pleasure that God is smelling here isn't that East Mississippi pleasure when your neighbor starts cooking. That's not quite what's going on. There's a pleasure that God is describing here, and it's the kind of pleasure that he experiences when a sinner shows up with slain animals and says, Lord, though I deserve exactly what has happened to these animals, Lord, please give me grace. Please give me forgiveness. This is the kind of pleasure that the Lord experiences when sinners come to him seeking forgiveness. Jesus says it's the kind of pleasure that a shepherd experiences when he leaves 99 sheep on the hillside and goes and finds one lost sheep. If you're a mommy or a daddy, you may experience this kind of pleasure when a child that you're worried about comes to you and says, Mom, you're right. Dad, you're right. I see things clearer now. It's a pleasure of when sinners come to him. The sins that you are embarrassed of and the sins that you are ashamed of will often drive you away from God. You will often run from him. Because it's easy to believe that God is going to greet your repentance with a wagging finger saying, why haven't you come back earlier? Or a wagging finger, how dare you approach me after what you've done? But that's simply not true. That's not the biblical picture of God. We do have a God that actively confronts sin. We do have a God that will pursue you, even haunt you, if you attempt to flee from him. But anyone who turns to our God will find a father eagerly awaiting his children's return. There is joy in the heavens when a sinner repents. So, how do we experience this pleasure that God offers? The answer is that you find ways to say, wow, at who God is and what he has done for you. So during a worship service... As we're singing and we have a hymnal in front of us and we're reading beautiful things about God and we're even singing them. You see something that the Lord has done for us and you even smile and say, wow, I cannot believe God's pleased when I approach him. Or when you're reading a passage of scripture and if you don't know where to start, if your Sunday school class is reading through a book of the Bible, that's a great place to start. The Gospel of John is a great place to start. You don't have to read much. Maybe you read a chapter or so in a sitting, and as you read through it, you're looking to see something beautiful about who God is. Something that lets you know that even though you have sinned and rebelled against you, He is pleased when you come to Him. And even, you might even shut your eyes and smile and say, wow. I remember when I came to Christ as a junior in college because one of my rugby teammates treasured Jesus. And I would get out of class or practice in the afternoon and I would go home. And because I was a college student, I had like hours in front of me. And I would lay down and I would open up the scriptures. And God was giving me an appetite for them. And as I would read through them, I would just read until something said that I was allowed to approach God. Even though I was a sinner. That somebody else had already paid for me. And I would just lay there for hours. Closing my eyes and finding the pleasure that comes from being allowed to approach him. There's a, uh, there was a orphanage director in 19th century England by the name of George Mueller. And George Mueller would say, though he was a very busy man, his first and most important work every day was to get his heart happy in who God was. And the way that he would do this was that he would open the scriptures and he would read until he came across something beautiful about God. And when his heart was finally burning, that he was allowed to, to approach this God. Then he could go about his daily business. 
Offer yourself to God because God offers himself to you. Second, offer yourself to God because God offers his patience to you. Look at verse 21. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Now, this sounds like a contradiction from God. In Genesis 6, God had said, because man's heart is only sinful continuously, I will bring judgment upon the world. And now, in Genesis 8, God's saying, because man's heart is only evil continuously, I will not bring judgment upon the world. It seems inconsistent. If you've been reading the first eight chapters of the Bible closely, you'll see it it appears as if Noah's sin is going unpunished. I mean, I honestly heard one theologian refer to Noah's behavior in the second half of of Genesis chapter 9 as a redneck on vacation. Noah deserved judgment. And it seems here like God is choosing to not give Noah the judgment that he deserves. He's allowing his sin to go unpunished. You know what's really crazy? Romans 3 says that's exactly what happened to Noah. God showed his patience by allowing Noah and all of the Old Testament saints sin to go unpunished until Noah's great, 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 great grandson was placed on, an, on a cross, another piece of wood, a different saving piece of wood. And then the levees of God's judgment broke upon Jesus and he endured the flood of judgment that Noah deserved. All of the animal sacrifices, the ones that we're seeing Noah performing here, all of the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament are simply a shadow. They're simply a picture that if God's going to be patient with us, somebody else has to endure the punishment that we deserve. Who's the true Lamb of God? Who's the true sacrifice? John 1 says, pointing to Jesus, behold, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The sin that you deserve to be judged for, the sin that I deserve to be judged for, the sin that Noah deserved to be judged for was placed on Jesus Christ and he was executed publicly. Jesus' death purchased for you God's patience. Now you are free to come to him. He has no more sin left to judge you for. You are free to experience his pleasure and his patience. 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, Paul says, This saying is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of which I'm the foremost. And what Paul is saying there is, I'm a big-time sinner. So that in saving big-time sinners like me, Christ might display his perfect patience. Everything in you may suspect that God has lost his patience with you. That you cannot come to him because you have simply fallen too many times. There's a new NBC show called I Feel Bad because that's simply the attitude most of us walk around with that I've lost my temper towards my children too many times, that I have fallen sexually too many times, that I have failed to foster my own spiritual life too many times. And if there is a good God, certainly I can't approach him. But if you're in Christ and you're fighting your sin and you want to draw near to him and you're seeking him for forgiveness, He has immeasurable patience for you. Offer yourself to God because God has great patience for you. Third, offer yourself to God because God offers you his provision. Look at verse 22. As long as the earth endures, 
seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase and fill the earth. Look at verse three. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. So just like God had created a world for Adam to flourish in, God is now providing for Noah, that Noah's family may flourish in this world. The reason that mealtimes really are a great time to stop and to pray is because every single piece of vegetable and every single piece of meat is an evidence that God is providing for us just like he said he would. Even though the thoughts of man's heart are still full with sin and we sin continually, God promises to preserve the world and to provide for it. He's gentle. He's kind. He treats all of us better than we deserve. And he does this, verse 1 says, so that we might be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with a picture of what God is like. Here's what that means. The reason that the world is rotating And the reason that it has the orbital tilt that it does that produces summer following winter following summer following winter is in the reason that the world is able to sustain 7.7 billion people is because God intends to fill every single inch of the planet with people that know him. And he's going to keep those seasons going until that has happened. Look at verse 11. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. God decides to never again destroy the earth with water, apparently because of something he makes called a covenant. It seems like an important thing to learn. And so that's why several of the volunteers in our children's ministry train our children on Wednesday night and throughout the week with a series of questions called catechisms. Catechisms are questions that you can ask to small children who, by the way, have a freakish ability to memorize things by rote memorization. That's why you're very careful with what you say around children. So you choose things like catechisms instead of other things that you might say around your small children. And we ask them a question about a covenant. We say, what is a covenant? And the answer that just warms my my heart when my daughter says it through pancakes in the morning is, a covenant is a relationship that God establishes with us and guarantees by his word. It's a relationship. And it's God who establishes it, meaning that it's a relationship that God initiates. God comes and stirs our hearts to fall in love with him. God comes and saves us and provides a savior for us that we might approach him. God has made us. God is the one beckoning us. And if God's covenant is the reason that he is sustaining the world then that means that the reason that you are alive and the reason that your heart is beating is so that you might be drawn into a relationship with him. And if you are in a relationship with him, that means the reason that you are alive is that you might abide or remain in your relationship with him. God really does give us a simple, though life is difficult, God really does give us a simple answer to what we're here for. Christians are to spread this message as long as the world exists. And Christians don't only participate in the proclamation of this message. Christians can even participate in the provision that God is offering the world while this message is being proclaimed. 
The way that Christians participate in the provision of God is by taking care of the needs of the people around us. That's why many of you have purchased or packaged or delivered food for local students so that students in our area that receive free or reduced lunch don't have to go the entire weekend before they have access to another nutritious meal. Thank you for doing that. You're doing the work of God to provide for the world. Let's continue to pray for God's provision in the lives of these children, but let's also pray that God would open their eyes to see his covenant relationship. That these children, having seen God's grace to provide for them, would even see the relationship that God offers and that they would embrace it. Let's pray that for them and for their families. Offer yourself to the Lord because he offers his provision. Fourth, offer yourself to God because he offers protection to you. Verse 4. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. Now that seems like a funny commandment. Does that mean that if you've purchased hamburger meat with a little bit of blood still in it and thrown it on the grill, you've brought judgment upon your family? Not quite. This is, this is because of the role that blood played in the Old Testament sacrificial system. But here's why God brings it up. That word lifeblood could also be translated soul blood. And God's saying, and for your soul blood, I will surely demand an accounting. The souls and the lives of human beings, because God has made them in his image, are unbelievably important to God. I will demand an accounting for every animal. And from each human being, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Human beings are so valuable to God that he simply will not permit their murder. In fact... God demands that even animals should pay if they've cost a human a life. And people who kill other people should pay for this. The Protestant reformers understood this passage to be the place in the scripture where God first establishes governments. Why is that? Look at verse 6. If you shed human blood, by humans should your blood be shed. Governments are the only organization in the world that has the authority to shed human blood. Whether it's their internal criminal system, whether it's their external military, God is establishing governments here. But look why. It appears in a passage that sees God promising to protect and preserve the world so that the message of the gospel might continue to go forward. That means that governments play a crucial role in caring for people and providing order so that the world could continue functioning, humans could continue to live, and that the world might hear about the gospel that it needs. Healthy governments promote, maintain peace, freedom, and flourishing. One of the reasons why we should pray for our government and one of the reasons why we should pray for peace and freedom in the Middle East is so that obstacles to the gospel would be removed and that this message could continue going forward. Healthy government is a tool that God uses in a world that desperately needs to hear about it. So, if government is a tool of God's to provide for and protect people, what does that mean for us? If government's a tool of God, then it's not okay for Christian children to grow up believing That being a teacher or a police officer or a public administrator is somehow an inferior profession because that's simply not true. These are tools that God uses to provide for and protect all peoples so that this gospel might continue to go forward. 
We are in a church that does have teachers. We do have police officers and guardsmen and public administrators. And we just want to say we're very proud of you. Continue to offer yourself to God through your profession so that God might continue to show his protection to all. So, as God's message of pleasure and patience fills this world, we can continue to thank him for his provision and protection. In the same way that God patiently waited for the construction of the ark before he brought judgment on the world, God is now patiently working for the construction of his church before judgment will come. So, in light of this judgment, and in light of the mercy that he offers us in the gospel, how will we live? The answer is that we might offer ourselves to God because God offers himself to you. Let's pray. God, we praise you for the sacrifice of your son. We praise you that he has finally closed the altar. There is nothing left for us to sacrifice because your son has been a perfect sacrifice. We pray that you would take his righteousness and you would apply it to us. God, we pray that we could rest in the forgiveness that you offer. We pray that we would turn and offer ourselves to you because of his offer. And Lord, we even pray that by your grace, we might offer the goodness of Jesus to the entire world, beginning in Meridian, Mississippi. We pray this in his, in his name. Amen. Let's continue our work.